Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spent. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. <clears throat> I invite you to pray with me this morning. Holy God, you have a word for us today, a word of comfort and a word of challenge, a word of hope and a word of guidance for our lives. Make our hearts soft and plant this word in us that we may bear, it may bear fruit through our lives. Amen. The Good Samaritan. This is perhaps the most well-known parable in the Bible. Even people with virtually no knowledge of the Bible or church whatsoever, if you say the words Good Samaritan, they think of what? Someone who helps another, right? Especially someone who helps a stranger. I remember my days back working at summer camp when I was in college and we would teach this Bible story every week to the kids week after week and it was a great parable to teach because it's got a great message and you can do so many fun and silly skits with it. Like one day there was a bunny hopping down the path in the forest and a big bad wolf came out or, or the big bad wolf helped the bunny, all these things and we always had so much fun. I, I never understood why uh, the kids always wanted me to be the one who got beat up and they got to be the robbers. But they always thought that was hilarious, beating up the big tall counselor in the skits. <clears throat> of course, the trouble with a Bible story that's so familiar is that we think or we assume we already know what it means. Well, we've heard this one. We know it. But the nature of Scripture is that it's the living Word of God. And that means that when we hear it, the Holy Spirit stirs in us and speaks a word for today, a word for you, a word for me. And the nature of a parable is that they have multiple layers and lessons and, and challenges for us to hear. So when we hear the parable of the Good Samaritan, we might instantly think, oh, well, this is simply telling us to help people in need. Well, it is, but is that the only point? In fact, that's sort of a given for Christians, right? Uh, Jesus is doing so much more than just that here. In fact, two key things that Jesus is doing in this conversation today First, Jesus is eradicating the idea that we can create boundaries about 
what, who constitutes a neighbor. That's the first thing he's doing. The second thing Jesus is doing is challenging assumptions or biases about who would be a good neighbor and show compassion. And so let's look at this. The, the lawyer or the scribe, his scribe, uh, he stands up and he asks Jesus this question to challenge him. And Jesus does what? He challenges him right back. And he says, well, what do you think? And the man doesn't miss a beat. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there was a debate in Jewish circles, though, about what the word neighbor actually was supposed to mean. Some argue that it meant, well, anyone but others might say, well, that must mean those who are proximate to us, you know, our, our physical neighbors. Others would say that it meant our fellow Israelites, but that doesn't mean others like Romans or Samaritans. Enemies can be excluded from that. And therefore, some had sought to put a limit on this command to love. But Jesus says, no. And the thing is, Jesus isn't being all that radical or cutting edge by saying that here. In fact, anyone in the ancient world who knew the old to the Torah, the ancient scriptures well, would probably know this, that a few verses later in Leviticus, verse 34, it says this, the alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. This passage completely short circuits any argument like this scribe was trying to make that loving neighbor could exclude Samaritans or Romans or any other group. See, one cannot put a boundary on God's command to love our neighbors. And the second thing Jesus does here is challenges the assumptions about who would be the good neighbor, who would show compassion. And he tells this parable in what's a familiar pattern to the ancient listeners, a three-person pattern that, that is how some things start off. The, the starts in Jewish culture, the priests, those were the ones who served in the temple, the descendants of Aaron uh, from Moses' time, and then the Levites, the second group of folks. These were descended uh, from uh, Aaron's ancestor, Levi, so all of those whose lineage belonged to the tribe of Levi. And then the last group was everyone else, the Israelites, the other 11 tribes. So a story, a proper story, should go a priest, a Levite, and an Israelite. Anyone listening would have expected the third character in Jesus' story to be an Israelite, but Jesus shocks them. He messes with their formula and he says, a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were thought to be immoral or unfaithful. They weren't considered good. And notice how when Jesus tells the story, he doesn't give any clues in the identity of the man traveling or the robbers. Do you notice that? I, I think that's intentional because as we hear a story, our mind starts to fill in the gaps, doesn't it? So as they're listening to the story and they're hearing it and they're going, hmm, I see this. Okay, some bad guys on the road to Jericho. Who could that be? Mm, Samaritans maybe? We all know those Samaritans. But just when his listeners had their assumptions in place and ready to be affirmed, bam, Jesus shatters them with a story about a Samaritan that is somehow good? They're probably thinking, wait a minute, Jesus, I think you misspoke. I think you meant to say an Israelite, right? But no. And at the end of the story, he asks, and who is his neighbor? And the lawyer says, reluctantly, the one who showed him mercy. Notice he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. So he says, the one. 
And Jesus says the most challenging thing at all, uh, of all, go and do likewise, which isn't just a challenge to go and show compassion, but he's saying go and be like that Samaritan. Ooh, how that must have stung to their ancient ears. See, Jesus is eradicating the idea that, that we can put boundaries on com- God's command to love our neighbor and challenging assumptions about who would be a good neighbor and show compassion. So I want to dig into one specific word at the heart of Jesus' teaching today. That word, compassion. See, the priest and the Levite, they saw a man in need and and they walked by on the other side. But the Samaritan saw and was what? He was moved with compassion, Jesus says. How about you? Have you ever seen someone in need and passed by on the other side? Just kept walking or just kept driving by? Maybe there was a car stalled on the side of the road or maybe someone begging on the street corner. What happens in our hearts when we pass by? I don't know about you, but when I've done that, I feel this sense of guilt or or maybe a what if, what if I had stopped or maybe I should have or maybe I could have. But then I move on and I try and justify it and say, well, I didn't have the time or, or what could I have done to help anyway? In terms of the parable, we have to wonder what would this priest and this Levite, what would be going through their minds and their hearts as they laid their head on their pillow that night at home? But what about a time when you did see someone in need and and stopped to help? The Samaritan in the story, he was moved by compassion, and what we see is that compassion is what starts leading him down a path of a whole host of other caring actions. That compassion stirs and it multiplies generosity and kindness and we wonder how would he feel at the end of this long long day or what about that man who had been beaten and left on the side of the road or what about the innkeeper who witnessed such extraordinary kindness you see when this happens everyone around it is moved inspired and and transformed by such a depth of compassion now you might be thinking, well, Pastor Josh, sure, but Jesus isn't telling a, an, a factual story. It's just a parable, right? And certainly he's not recounting something that actually happened, but yet the power of the parable is that it's speaking a truth about a story we all experience in our lives, isn't it? A parable speaks a truth about an experience that happens every day. So what happens when someone is moved to act with compassion? A robbed man is given renewed dignity and worth. Healing takes place. Hope starts to creep in where no hope existed before. Those who witness it, like the innkeeper, they get to see, experience, and and participate in such a love and generosity, and they're transformed and inspired. Like the Samaritan, those who give, who practice such compassion, find an almost supernatural supply of generosity, of, of kindness, of love welling up inside. And it can be an incredible disruption, though, and yet it's a disruption that's worth it. I mean, you think about the story and the parable. The man was traveling down the road where this happened because he had someplace to go, right? Jesus didn't say, and there was a man wandering around on the sides of the road looking for someone in need to help. No, he was probably on his way for something important, and yet he stops and is disrupted, but whatever plans he had paled in comparison to the importance of taking care of a stranger in need. Maybe you've experienced this challenge of disruption when you see a need around you and you want to help, but, but I don't have time, or, or, or maybe you, you did stop and help, and, and it threw your whole day, your whole schedule for a loop. 
Here's the thing about compassion. It may not always be convenient, but it is always curative. In fact, compassion is the prescription for the disease in our world today. We are experiencing, I think, an epidemic of things like selfishness, an epidemic of apathy, an epidemic of blame or judgment or even cruelty, it seems. Compassion is the cure. Compassion is the primary nutrient needed to grow the fruit of God's kingdom. Think about all that compassion does. Compassion fuels forgiveness. Compassion awakens generosity. It forms the building blocks for things like reconciliation or transforming relationships. Compassion feeds the seeds of peace. Lately, I've found some days my soul feeling heavy. Anybody else? Our minds might be confused or afraid when we see all the things that are going on in our world, but compassion begins to heal all of it. Compassion is the key that unlocks the path forward toward God's future. And so this week here is my my challenge for all of us. Cultivate compassion and practice compassion. What does that mean to cultivate compassion? cultivate compassion. Every time you start to feel that that fear or that frustration or that anger inside, when you start to feel blame uh, creeping in, you can breathe in the Holy Spirit and pray to receive this compassion that God is awakening us. When we start to feel that frustration about another, we can start to wonder prayerfully, I wonder what their life is like that they would be this way, and we start to empathize with them and see a different perspective. And then we can practice compassion. Keep our eyes open for holy opportunities so that when the moment comes, we allow ourselves to be disrupted in in practice compassion. It might be in tiny, tiny ways or it might be something big, but whenever we practice compassion, we're nurturing the fruit of God's kingdom. I guarantee for each and every one of us worshiping today that there is someone whose path you will cross this week who's hurting deeply. Someone whose path you will cross, who's desperate for a word of kindness, to hear a word from God that they're not forgotten, and you might be the voice God wants to use. You might be the face of Jesus to them. What an incredible opportunity. So for our own hearts, whatever weights or worries you might be carrying, take that time to cultivate compassion and allow the Spirit to bring healing and life. And imagine if every one of us gathered here today, if, if we were able to cultivate and practice compassion this week, how much love, how much generosity, how much hope could we grow in our community? And how might that be multiplied by those who experience God's compassion through you? So this week, my friends, may God disrupt you with holy opportunity to plant seeds of the kingdom and walk toward God's future. Amen.